Hey guys, welcome back to Devoted Devotions. If you're new here, I'm Tandy and I hope you enjoy our Bible study. Matthew chapter 22 verses 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. Heavenly Father, great and holy is your name. We're not even worthy to speak it. We thank you for the love that you have blessed us with, the love that you have magnified for us through your Son. We submit our body, soul, and spirit to you, asking that you fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we might be accepted into your presence. All this we ask in your mighty name we pray. Amen. In the previous episode, we learned about the importance of discipleship and the importance of giving up control over our boats or our lives so Jesus can use them. We also learned about the things that make our boats sink. If you haven't listened to it yet, then please go check it out. In this episode, we'll be looking at the body, soul and spirit in typology, focusing on the ways that the Bible illustrates the importance of prayer and having Jesus in us. And if you've listened to all the previous episodes, you've probably picked up that I like it when the Bible comes together in ways that I didn't see before. And I love sharing those ways even more. And so to exemplify all of this, we need to learn about three loaves of bread. You heard me correctly. Three loaves of bread. Quick disclaimer, this one might get a bit confusing if you don't have Um, an understanding of the temple of Jerusalem and what it looks like so you might want to check out Solomon's temple 3d on YouTube just to be able to visualize the concepts that I'll be talking about Matthew 13 verses 33 the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into three measures of meal till the dough was leavened this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven What does it mean though? Is it good? Remember, Jesus gives us the reality of the pictures that were in the Old Testament. Some biblical scholars will read this text and interpret it as to mean how wonderful it is when God's word is spread. But what does the woman mean? What does yeast represent? Let's look at Luke chapter 11 verses 5. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come and I have nothing to offer him. Verse 8. Even though he won't get up to give you three loaves of bread because of your friendship, he will give it to you because of your shameless audacity and he will give you as much as you need. Why is Jesus using this strange parable? Why is this man asking for just three loaves of bread when there's only two of them? And why is he going to his other friend at midnight? I won't answer these questions directly, but as we go through it, uh, the answer will definitely be much clearer. Before we continue, we need to understand what bread is. In the book of John chapter 6, we're told that Jesus is the bread of life. He is the bread that came down from heaven and gives us life. He gives life to the world. Bread is what God has given us to give us life. Jesus in us. 
When Satan tempted Jesus, he tried to get him to lose sight of the true bread. And Jesus responds saying, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus was refocusing the conversation. The enemy tried to capitalize on the fact that Jesus was hungry. But Jesus was like, nah dude, all that doesn't even matter. What matters is the word of God. And here's the thing. In John 1 verses 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Yo, I'm getting excited. Are you picking up what he's putting down? Jesus is the word. Jesus is the bread. He didn't need to prove it to anyone who wouldn't believe it. He says, man shall live by every word that proceeds out of God's mouth. And we've been given the word, which is the Bible. And we've also been given the word, which is the son of God. Yo, I'm going to have to hold it right there because if I go any further, I will digress. Prayer, reading and preaching the word is also bread. The parable in Luke chapter 11 was given right after Jesus taught them how to pray. When we read and preach the word of God, we eat and we share the bread of life. For instance, remember just before Jesus fed the 5,000? When the disciples were stressed out because the multitude had nothing to eat. In Matthew chapter 14 verse 16, Jesus was like, well then, why don't you feed them? And as usual, they didn't understand what he meant. He tells the disciples that they should feed the people. And they tell him that they don't have enough bread. Okay, so why did they need three loaves of bread? The first parable mentioned three measures of meal or flour. So to understand this, I think we need to go back to the beginning. You've probably noticed that this is another thing that I do quite often. Going back to the beginning is very important. Sometimes you get clarity on the narrative when you go back to the first time this concept is introduced. Let's look at Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 to 6. This is when the Lord appears to Abraham. He pleads with the three men, asking them to rest for a while. He'll bring them something to eat and to freshen up. And in verses 6, he tells his wife to make three loaves of bread. And this time, Sarah doesn't nag. She's obedient and she gets blessed. It was the day the answer to her prayer came. And if she didn't give these three loaves of bread, she probably wouldn't have received her blessing. So what does it represent? When things are mentioned in threes, it tends to be in relation to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. This whole analogy makes sense when you study the temple. Remember, the temple that was built by the Israelites was just a shadow of the heavenly temple. Everything in it had a purpose. It wasn't just there for the sake of being there. And so I must encourage you to read up on it. Learn about each element and what it represents because unfortunately, I don't have time to get through it all with you. I remember we used to do it in Pathfinders, learning about 
each aspect of the temple, what it means, what it represents, and you get badges for it. And yes, as mentioned earlier, do check out the video on YouTube. It will definitely put it into perspective. Okay, so in the New Testament, we learn that under the New Covenant, our body is the temple of God. The temple consisted of three distinct areas. The outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place. And since our bodies are the temple, the outer court would represent our physical body. The part of us that everyone gets to see. The holy place would represent our soul. And the most holy place would represent our spirit. Those are the areas where only the ministering priest was allowed to enter. Our focus is on the bread though. If you read closely, you'll see that there had to be bread in each part of the temple as God commanded. In the most holy place, there was a pot filled with the bread of heaven, manna. In Exodus 16 verses 33, Moses actually told Aaron to preserve some manna that would bear witness to all generations. The holy place had the table of showbread, Exodus chapter 40, verses 22. And in the outer court, they had to produce bread offerings. And this one is special because we see a picture of the Trinity manifest once more. In Exodus 29, verses 23, they had to bring one big loaf, one thick loaf with olive oil mixed in it and one thin loaf of unleavened bread. A temple that is acceptable to God is a temple that has three loaves of bread in the three different aspects. Okay, so let's take a quick detour quickly as to what is in this temple before we look at the bread inside the temple. We have the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place, which we have come to understand represents the body, the soul, and the spirit. So the body is the part that everyone can see. This is where the baptism and the offerings take place, right? This is obviously the place in the temple that's very plain. Everybody gets to see it. Um, and then we get inside the temple then we have the soul and you know what they say about the soul the soul is oh the eyes are the window to the soul so i tried to look for this um a bible verse that supported this and i was surprised to find that it was actually a shakespeare reference which was really strange because i don't really think about shakespeare that much but the closest reference that i could find about like the eyes um, being related to the soul was found in Matthew 6 verses 22 to 23 which says the eye is the lamp of the body if your eyes are healthy your whole body will be full of light but if your eyes are unhealthy your whole body will be full of darkness and if the light within you is darkness how dark is that darkness? This was the one that really like almost threw me off my tracks because 
If the eyes are the window to your soul, if the eyes are the light of your body, it means that the things that we put in front of our eyes matter. What are we feeding our soul? What are we feeding our eyes? What do we watch? Do we even think about the effect that the things that we watch have on us? Like, do we even consider that? Do we even think about the fact that the things that we look at and the things that we see and the things that we feed our soul can literally dim our light? It's really scary. If you keep watching violent things, you're going to be desensitized to violence because you're feeding your soul violence. And so when something extremely gruesome happens, it doesn't even faze you because that's what you've put up in front of you the whole time. And inside the holy place, we have the candlesticks, the showbread and the incense. I love this because the Bible is coming together once more as we're building this, um, as we're adding layers to this trinity, wherein, okay, the candles, I'm not going to get into, the showbread, we're already talking about, but the incense, we said the soul is the area that is dominated by the Holy Spirit. It makes sense that the incense is in this area. Because what does the incense represent? It represents the prayers that go up to God. And why is that special? It's special because of Romans 8 verses 26 to 27. It says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit is interceding for us in the holy place. Those prayers that go up from our temples, the prayers that go up from within us, are are deciphered by the Holy Spirit and given to God because we don't know how to pray. We don't know how to do it. We don't know how to pray in line with God's will for us. And that's what the Spirit does for us. It's absolutely beautiful. Lastly, we have the Spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. So... I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the Spirit, the actual Spirit. Remember, God is a Spirit. Um, And in this area, this is the most holy place. There is the Ark of the Covenant. And it's cool because it's low-key another boat. But I'm not going to dwell on that. Um, This signifies the contract that we have with God. It signifies our covenant. Inside the Ark of the Covenant are the things that are binding us to this contract. Inside the Ark, we know that there is Aaron's rod, the tablets, and the manna. Okay, so I'm not going to talk about the manna, but the tablets, um, those are the Ten Commandments that God wrote with his very own finger. And you know why that is so special? 
Because the psalmist says that thy word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against thee. If we are the temple of God, if God is is supposed to live in us, our most holy place needs to have his commandments in it. It needs to have his bread in it. And the thing is, you know, God's temple is very average looking on the outside. But when you get inside, it is spectacular. As I'm saying, if you haven't seen the video on YouTube, go and check it out. It is absolutely phenomenal. You just get this breathtaking feeling just looking at it. And that's only a replica. That's, I mean, a 3D, you know, visual of what they could pick up. But can you imagine what it actually looks like in heaven? We can't call ourselves children of God if the only thing that's beautiful about us is our outward appearance. We can't, we shouldn't, let me not say we can't, we shouldn't be so concerned about our looks. We should be worried about how we look on the inside. How do we look to God? Because you know, we're too busy focused on how we look on Instagram, how, what people will think of me when they see me. But the real question is, what does God think of me when he looks at me? You know, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Your thousands of followers on Instagram are not going to save you from your sins. Your hot six-foot boyfriend with a six-figure income with a six-pack abs Oh my gosh, that's triple six. That's an unholy trinity. But anyway, let me not even get into that. I digress. Um, they're not going to take you anywhere just because you look good. They, they, they can't save you from yourself. They can't save you from your sins. The only person whose opinion matters is God's. And so we need to make sure that we're beautiful for him too. And it's actually very special because Jesus told the Pharisees that they looked like tombs. How they were beautiful and were covered up and looked very expensive on the outside. But inside was full of dead bones. Is that what we want our Lord and Savior to say about us? These are very important questions. Let's not be putting up fronts for people Let's let's not be too concerned about what other people think about us, but let's only focus and make it a priority to focus on what God thinks about us because that's the only thing that matters at the end of the day. What does God say about us? What do we want God to say about us? And let's live accordingly. Going back to the second parable, we need to understand that when we pray, it's like we're asking for three loaves of bread. Do we have this bread in our body, soul, and spirit? And do we share it with others for their benefit? 
Do we truly have this bread? Let's look at the first parable again. Why is this woman putting yeast in her bread when scripture tells us not to put yeast in anything? You know, when God uses symbolism, we tend to focus on the symbol and not the spiritual thing that the symbol represents. Is there yeast in our bread? Is there yeast in our soul or in our spirit? In Matthew chapter 16 verses 6 or Mark chapter 8 verse 5, we are warned to be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. These are the people who were rejected by God. The Pharisees justified themselves and the Herodians represented political leadership who weaponized God's word for control. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. We need to get rid of the yeast. If you've listened to the, the previous episode, you'll appreciate how this links to the ship being led to shipwreck. We're told that the bread of God tastes like honey. The manna that fell from heaven was sweet. And Leviticus 2 verses 11 emphasizes that we're not supposed to add our own honey in the bread. The bread of God is sweet enough. It does not need your own honey. This speaks to pastors who will do grand gestures while attempting to preach the word of God, but ultimately fumble and mishandle God's word because they're more interested in keeping the congregation entertained. They add their own honey, they steer their own ship, and they will crash. 1 Samuel chapter 10 verses 3 to 4. This is when Samuel is telling Saul what is going to happen just after he had been anointed. He says one of the three men will give him two loaves of bread. Think about it. How many loaves of bread was Saul given? He was given two loaves. But when you read about how many loaves of bread that man had, he had three loaves of bread. Saul always fell short when it came down to it. He was supposed to ask for three loaves of bread. Remember what David did when he didn't have any bread? He went straight into the temple and took from the bread of God and shared it with his companions. Elijah lived on ravens bringing him bread until he had to go and meet the needs of others. There will be a time in your life where it will just be you and God. And that time does not last forever. He fills you up and he equips you so that you're able to be a vessel that is used to help others. It's such a beautiful account because in 1 Kings chapter 17, when Elijah is sent to the widow and asks her for bread, she says she doesn't have any. But let's look at the narrative again. She says she doesn't have enough. She only has flour and oil. And she's going to make two loaves and die. Elijah comes through and says, no, make three loaves and live. 
This woman thought she didn't have enough, but she had oil. She had flour. She had everything that she needed. And then Jesus comes through and ties it all up in a neat bow. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 22 to 26, he goes to the same place Elijah went to and meets a woman with a child in need. She wanted the bread. It's all about the bread. Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 9. Ask, seek, and knock. And even when the door is shut, he will give you bread. It's not too late if you're still alive. Ask God to fill your body, your soul, and your spirit. We got through a lot today, but I hope you learned how imperative it is for you to have this bread. You get the blessings if you have the bread. But you also have to share this bread. You can't keep it all to yourself. It's one thing to have God meeting all of your needs, but true spiritual growth is when God is able to use you to meet the needs of others. If Elijah stayed at that brook, he would not have been able to help that widow. Dear Jesus, we pray that you might help us get through these tough times where we are constantly battling selfishness. May you fill us with the bread and may we share it with those around us. We ask that you would purify us, that our temples would be worthy enough for you to dwell in them. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. I hope you learned a thing or two. And if you're struggling with anything in any aspect of your life, please pray and ask the Creator to show you the way. If this message was relevant for you, please share it with someone that you think needs to hear it. And if you have any topics you'd like to be discussed, feel free to drop me an email at devoteddevotions311 at gmail.com. From your host, Tandy, thank you for listening. Stay blessed.